New Year, everyone, and welcome to 2023, <laughs> and also welcome to season two of Stargate SG1. Uh, the 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 on Jeff takes actually, I should mention the name of this show. Hi, it's Jeff takes. We're a podcast that rewatches Stargate and then like talk about it, and we're up to like I, as I alluded to, uh, season two, episode one, the Serpent Slayer. Um, and yeah, we we just took a little break, and we're coming back. So. Uh, don't mind me if I'm a little rusty on how, how we do this whole podcasting business. Uh, <laughs> joining me today, we have Jimmy Dean. Hello! And M. Hello. All right. Uh, before we start on the episode, a uh, little housekeeping. Well, first of all, Happy New Year. Have, have you both had a nice, relaxing holidays? Or uh, how, how, how's it going? Like, we, we haven't talked to each other in like a month at this point. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing uh, well. Uh, winter break was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. At the start of the new year, I decided to do a lazy, dirty keto diet. So I've been on that for two weeks. Oh, oh great. How's that going? Uh, I am down five pounds. So oh, that's an- nice. Another yeah. five pounds, and I reach my weight when I was a freshman in college. And then I don't have to be on the wow. diet. Wow. And then the next thing is, how do I maintain <laughs> that weight? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the, that's always the hard part. Yes, I I uh, I, I admire you having such a small. <laughs> uh, no, wait, I shouldn't like even comment on this. I'm I'm just trying to say that uh, I have a lot more than ten pounds more than I did when I started college, which was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, the, those resolutions and improvement. Uh, as as far as I as I'm concerned with that stuff, I, I'm trying to like kind of like be less toxic about the way that I play video games because <laughs> I was I was following a model for the games that I choose to play that I think were affecting me and making me uh, stressed and I'm trying to like let, let go of that a little bit I finally accepted that I'm never gonna like break all the the screens in Smash Brothers Brawl because some of that stuff is too tedious also that game is 15 years old now so it was time to let go uh, <laughs> I, I thought you, you were describing like you just swear aggressively at the TV when you're playing these no. video games. I do sometimes, like under my breath, mostly because the kids are asleep. Maybe you started talking uh, about but Smash I, Brothers, and I assumed you were going. To, you meant Ultimate, and then you're like Brawl, and it's like, oh, no, Brawl. Yeah, <laughs> when I said I'm, I'm trying to like improve and like improve my mental health in regards to video games, letting go of the Smash Brothers from two games ago that was on the original Wii was one of the things that I did to, 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 to do that. Just put it away and not think about it anymore. Um, 
Yeah, I, I'm Listen, like, you, if you, you don't you know me. Sub, you beat Subspace Emissary, and you, you're pretty much done in that game. You're good. Yeah, I, I beat Subspace Emissary. I unlocked all the characters and all the stages. The, the only stuff I had left to do was, you know, grind up to like 100 hours of multiplayer, which like is pretty hard when it's 2023 and no one I know is ever going to even think about playing Smash Brothers Brawl in their lives. There are um, still servers for it? <laughs> No, 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 not even that. It would have to be all local anyway. Not yeah. like, like all the Smash Brothers online stuff has never been good. I think it's like maybe an Ultimate is good now. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, no. And the other thing was beat like boss battles on Intense, which uh, I tried. I, I gave it like a solid two days of trying over and over, and I eventually gave up because uh, the, the, that's bullshit. It's all those bosses in Brawl, and when you bump up the, uh, bump up the difficulty, they get way faster. And like, uh, yeah, I eventually just got too angry and went like, you know what, fuck this. And I just went, I'll call this game off the backlog because I I did all the things that actually matter in this game. Um, yeah. Uh, so, M, my, uh, we haven't really, how, how have um, you been? Yeah. Well, I've gone from green to completely snow, to completely snowed in, back to green to completely snowed back in. Oh, yeah. Three times yeah. <laughs> since we oh, were that, last, that, that happens. last recorded. That's that's Canada. Yeah, it's been we we've had I think like three major snowstorms in the last month over here. I don't think we ever went back to green in that time, but it's been hey, really fluctuating a lot. You're a, you're a favorite for the north than me. Oh yeah, I I am. That's 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 true. You're 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 in the south part of Canada, and I'm in the you yeah. know the 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 middling north part. We're both we're both kind of in the. <laughs> You know, in the, that belt where half of Canada lives, but still, um, there's a this fairly uh, substantial difference in latitude, even within that. Um, yeah. So weather. <laughs> that, that's 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 a good summary of, of of your last month. Do you have anything else you'd like uh, to share with the class? Um, that um, played played bayonet played bayonetta three. I worked. All right. I tried mo- tried modding XCOM. Realized what I wanted to do was will actually completely break the game because of a long-standing bug that no one's actually sure why it exists. Oh God! Okay, break breaking XCOM even further is already like uh, yeah, tur- an accomplishment if you can manage it. Actu- actually, has like a max su- file size that it could register for save <laughs> files, and if you go beyond that, it just can't oh. read them. And okay, yeah, that that makes sense as a bug. I can't imagine that. Also, and what it's, I wanted you know, to do would have basically made any time you tr- you saved on the strategic level way too big a file so yeah i get that for axis and their uh games that are very systems intensive and also the programming is holding together with duct tape uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that sounds in character for their games so yeah uh sounds 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 interesting uh, at least that sounds educational that you tried to do this and then figured out it couldn't work so, so no, um, no it, turn, it absolutely turns out you cannot turn xcom 2 just into a just into a gotcha with with every every character in the character pool having a custom <laughs> class We're, we'll break oh that 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 sounds like a substantial modification that you attempted well all right, now you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, let's talk about Stargate. Uh, if you'll remember, when we left off, we had a big old cliffhanger. Uh, we were on a on a, a, a spaceship, a gold spaceship orbiting Earth uh, that was like got, that got there much earlier than they thought it would. Uh, I'm trying to find the spot where it stops being previously on on this. All right, there it is. Uh, I do want to um, talk one little thing about the previously on because there's a thing yeah. in it that you don't hear anymore. 
You oh yeah, what is it? At the very end, you have the narrator. You have the and now the conclusion. You don't, oh yeah, that's that's that. That is like very. <laughs> that is like completely faced out of TV and like understandably so. It's it's got a very particular uh-huh. tone, but I did appreciate yeah, yeah, yeah. this. That 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 that's some real old school like fifties serial stuff, like the the in in the in like a Flash Gordon or something. Now, and now the conclusion. But by the way, that narrator is Christopher Judge. Uh, Clearly, yes. Teal'c's voice is the the one that that says previously on, which I think they keep for the whole series. Whenever they do that, I is the first. I I'm not sure it's the first one we've had. There might have been one last episode. I don't remember. Uh, but yeah, he's the one that says that because you know that voice always so pleasing to the ear. Um, so yeah, we're we're on the bridge of uh, a Chlorel's spaceship that they've managed to uh, seize. Because if you'll remember, Cl- uh, Scara slash Chlorel's uh, body is laying on the floor next to them, er- along with all the Jafas that were in this room, and they've locked themselves in there and are, have just now realized that they're at Earth. Uh, they haven't seen yet that there's the second gold ship that's right next to them. Um, so, <laughs> what the, what SG one immediately like the decision they immediately take like before even saying anything else is all right. Let's blow up that C four we put everywhere and like kill ourselves and blow up the spaceship right now. Uh, every, and like pretty much, <clears throat> pretty much everyone is okay with it. Like there, there's no strong pushback against this idea. Uh, O'Neill just says, "Yeah, do it," and Carter's like, "Yeah, I agree." And like Daniel says, "Wait," and for a second you think, "Oh, is Daniel gonna have something a problem with them?" Like dying to, to save to to save the all of earth but he's like no no wait i have an extra c4 and i'm just gonna stick under this console uh to make extra sure we get daniel, blown to bits when, sorry, when all this Jackson, goes this we're gonna see real. this episode daniel has no self-preservation no, he, he at all real ride <laughs> no, right? his entire mentality now <laughs> He's like, yeah, I finally, I finally got my fo- <clears throat> my friends to come with me on the on to the Stargate on that mission I've been pestering them about ever since he came back from that uh, parallel reality, and now they're up there. So let's go, ride or die, uh, <laughs> ride and die if possible. Uh, Frankly, yeah, I think no, he not knows even about like, the ca- I think he knows about the counter and is like, yeah, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Uh, I, I, uh, these deaths never stick plus it's the season premiere no way we're actually all gonna die here anyway um, and yeah just as they're about to, to, to pull the pull the trigger on the on these explosives uh, Teal who was like he's been the guy who notices stuff out the window he did it twice last episode and he does it again now he sees hey wait second ship out there y'all uh, and then they go oh well fuck now, if we blow this ship up, uh, that's not going to do anything because there's going to be a second ship that's going to attack Earth anyway, and we'll have died for nothing. So we should at least uh, try to take both out if we're going to do anything. So uh, they put the, the 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 remote trigger on hold for now, and like when he asks Carter, so how long is the timer on these things? And she says twenty four hours because they thought they had a whole year ahead of them. So uh, <laughs> those ships can presumably still do quite a lot of damage on Earth over 24 hours, so it would be best if they found a different solution than just waiting it out. Um, anyway, uh, the next thing that happens is uh, the door opens, and then like a, a nice ball comes rolling in through the door, uh, which t- turns out to be a gold flashbang, basically. Um, 
before they have like time to uh, elaborate on a plan or anything, uh, they sh- they shoot at the Trafad door a little bit, but it's not enough. That thing lights up and like knocks them out, and uh, that's the end of the cold open. Now we're uh, gonna come back to this point later, but in this scene, mm-hmm. Daniel is you. Daniel is being a reasonable person and is only using one gun. <laughs> and I was only so using proud one gun, of yeah. him. I was so proud of him in this that moment. And yep. we'll come back to it. <laughs> He's already played his heroic sacrifice moment by sticking that extra C4 under there. Under there, he's like, "All right, I get to be uh, smart and like try to survive for a, bit, a little bit until later in the episode." It's like, oh, thank God, <laughs> somebody took no. away his other pistol. Uh huh. No, no, he's he's gonna get it back, or I guess Braytac is gonna give them back. Yeah, because Braytac is in this episode. Uh, jumping a little ahead here, but uh, there you go. Because uh, like, yeah, they wake up after the the opening, and they're in the brig now, which I guess is just like they they put a chain link uh, fence on on a section of a corridor, and that's the brig of the ship. Uh, <laughs> because this is a sci-fi show on TV budget in the nineties. They they all wake up and they can't see anything because they say, oh yeah, they got flashbanged by, by that thing. It it makes you temporarily blind on top of knocking you out. Um, so right now they're all blind. Uh, O'Neill tries to wake up Carter and she like he he just like taps her shoulder and she just like grabs his hand and bites it because <laughs> she Honestly, can't see anything. This, and this she's is just, just some very good physical comedy on his part. Both uh-huh, of them just uh-huh. grabbing at Teal'c's face when he first wakes up and then touching yep, yep, Carter, yep. getting bit. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's like Carter was clearly asleep. I guess she was still knocked out because she didn't hear them talking right before now. But she just she's still alert enough to like just bolt awake and bite the hand that's touching her because that's 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 your survivalist reflex, I guess. When you don't see anything, you assume it's the enemy. <laughs> um, uh, then, then Daniel is just sitting in a corner and like he has his hand against his head, like he has a headache from this whole thing. But he also seems really depressed because he's like, "All right, uh, we're fucked now because we tried everything and now we're in the brig and we're never gonna get out of here and they're just gonna blow up the earth and everything." Uh, and like, well, he was like, "Yeah, who look who's a Debbie Downer over here." Um, <laughs> like O'Neill tries to say, we've been in worse situations before, and it looks like, no, I don't think so. Uh, I'm pretty sure, like, that's not... I mean, they've never been on a spaceship that's going to blow up in less than a day that's about to destroy the Earth. So that's pretty bad, but, like, they, they, they had a caveman virus once. That's pretty bad, too. Yeah, like, uh, they, they've been in a lot of bad situations. O- they were O'Neil replaced by robots was, you know, once. Aging and they were aging, they were mind-controlled, except for Carter. Uh, and, like, they're... Bit- <laughs> <laughs> about to give birth to a new old empire yeah it's it, it, it's a fair yeah and like you said like he 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 O'Neill got old and was about to die and like except like a sci-fi solution presented itself it seems like the bar for them getting in trouble is just about constant it's always they're like under threat of imminent death and then it gets worse and then it gets worse and then they find a resolution uh, almost as if it's some kind of tv writing arc that they have going every episode there um yeah, this is not significantly worse than you've been through. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the, bad, the, but yeah, there there is an existential threat to the survival of human civilization on Earth right now. So y- you could argue that the stakes are higher than usual. But as far as SG1's physical safety is concerned, it's not any worse than every, anything they've encountered before. Uh, <laughs> you, you, they could have a whole philosophical debate about that. Uh, anyway, but the, there's no 
no real time for it because they have to uh, concern themselves with survival and everything. Um, Teal'c says his sight is starting to, to come back. Uh, O'Neill makes a joke that uh, if any Fasho up, Carter should bite him in the hand. Um, and yeah, so then the next scene is we see a Jaffa stick uh, Chlorel slash Scara's body back in the sarcophagus. And one thing I appreciate is that we get the Alexis Cruz credit that's like, because, you know, the credits play over the start of each episode. And this one plays over this scene specifically. We haven't seen his name yet. So uh, that's a nice attention to detail that they didn't want to spoil that he was still alive until we actually saw him on screen by showing the name of his actor that he was in this episode. Um, but yeah. Uh, last last uh, last episode, I said, well, presume Chlorel is dead right now, uh, but no, yeah, he's not. Um, Chlorel is still alive. Well, he was dead, but there's a sarcophagus, and he gets stuck in it by uh, by his Jaffa. So uh, don't worry about him, everyone. Are just such convenient plot things for we don't want to do, we <laughs> right? don't want to deal with dead bad guys yet. Right? Like starting ba- even back in the movie, the first time Daniel died, he just like the both Daniel and Sharae were put in put into one of those and were fine after that. Um, and yeah, uh, anytime anyone dies on Stargate, uh, if you're wondering, could they bring them back? Like those, there's basically Dragon Balls on this show. They just stick him in the sarcophagus, and whoops, good as new. Um, We'll talk more about Chlorel's survival and fate uh, near the end of this episode because there's a nice like little bit of trivia. Uh, you're basically that comes up at proposing the end of it. that Stargate operates under Dracula rules. That if a car- if a Dracula dies, as long as they can get to a coffin <laughs> in time, they're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically that. I mean, the ghoul. What what are the ghouls if not you know uh, alien Egyptian vampires? When you get down to it, really. Uh, it's actually, the Wraith are more like vampires in the Stargate lore, but we're not going we'll to see those for... We'll a get to them in a few years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When we get all the way to Atlantis. Uh, so, uh, yeah, after they've put uh, Chlorel in his nice healing box, uh, in his back-to-tank over there, uh, the, that, the one Jaffa turns into another Jaffa whose head is covered by a snake helmet. And if you remember anything about Braytag's voice, you, you immediately uh, recognize him. That's Braytag there, uh, who, like, says... Uh, who is, like, I guess playing... Chlor- he's Chlorel's first prime or something? Because, uh, like, he's, he's going to say later that he managed to, like, uh, gain the favor of the ghoul again and, like, uh, the suspicion... He's kept it off of him. No one knows that he's a rebel, so like he managed to climb up the ranks, and I guess that's the implication that he became he's managed all the way to like climb his ranks back up to first prime from being entirely exiled yeah. and shunned in a couple months. Right? Yeah, I don't. It's not clear if Braytag himself was shunned, but like Teal'c's family clearly was, and he was like openly friends with with like Teal'c's wife and son. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> He's got some moxie, that Braytac. Uh, he's all the way to working for the, the, the boss's kid. Uh, and, like, he's, uh, he takes that upper, like, the one Jaffa, like, he, he scolds the Jaffa for letting Chlorel get killed in the first place. And, like, he does the thing. Uh, the, the Jaffa's like, I'm sorry, it won't happen again. And he's like, no, it won't. And he shoots him twice with his hat. So he just kills that the, one Jaffa. I want to know what the, what the arrangement is. When do you get your own symbol that you get to put on your Jaffa's head? I don't know, right? Like, Chlorel is still, is still a kid, I guess, because he's, he's only been in a host for like a year. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Like, he's under, 
he he serves under Apophis's faction of and, the system lords. Um, and, and like technically until recently all of them were supposed to be serving under Ra. Right, that's the thing. Ra was the the overlord, the supreme commander of all the system lords until he died 2 years ago. Um so, so like obviously the under, the underling devils at some point do get to have their own symbols, but Yeah, that yeah, but yeah, it's weird. Uh, we're gonna meet Heru uh, in a few episodes, and he's uh, he was like working under Ra, but his he has his own his own symbol too. So did he have that symbol when he was like working under Ra? It's not clear. Um, and uh, yeah, so the, the, all good questions. I mean, Clorel, we're never gonna see Clorel having his own. Uh, his own symbol whenever there's Jaffa like uh, associated with Apophis or from Chulak or whatever it's always the snake symbol um, well more or less it's going to get more complicated later because uh, ghoul politics uh, are about to like uh, hit the fan as after this episode um, it's going to get real interesting uh, but yeah uh, we cut to DSGC now and Hammond has officially switched into his uh, active war deployment uniform where he's he's wearing the camo outfit we saw in the parallel universe now because uh, they've detected the gold ships in orbit and they are assuming they, they're being invaded. Uh, and like, he comes down the stairs into the control room and who does he see there but good old uh, Colonel Samuels whose first name is Bert, by the way. I don't know if we've mentioned it before. It's in the Amazon uh, like X-ray view thing. That's just the full name of the character. I don't even know if that's even mentioned on the show ever. I just like knowing that this guy's name is Bert. Uh, anyway, he's there to be a, a shitty little fuckface for this episode. Uh, he's like, uh, right now he's like being real smug because he's like, yeah, I was sent here by the Pentagon to coordinate with you. Uh, Senator Kinsey requested that he be sent there to basically enact the plan he has. He's come up with a plan to protect him from a gold invasion, and he came here to do that. Uh, he's going to explain it in just a minute there, I think. Yeah. Uh, he's This scene, he's just saying, yeah, I'm here to to, you know, to basically take over and say, save your asses from the mess you caused? Because he's still blaming them for, like, all the way back in the first episode, going through the Stargate at all, because because they wanted to get, like, that late, that woman that was kidnapped back, uh, that was the start of everything, and that was, like, arguably sure that was... I'm what they think would have happened if they didn't. Yeah, I mean, presumably that was the catalyst that made Apophis care about Earth at all, because that would that 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 led to them finding Teal'c, and that led to Teal'c joining Earth, and all of this is basically a personal vendetta that Apophis has against Teal'c's friends. So, yeah, you, you could you could argue that Earth would be not being threatened in this way if they hadn't gone at all, but also that they would have left this lady out in space with a bad guy and that was it once (laughs) once it's been established that no there are other there are other cavalds that were under apophis someone's Uh going to be coming for under raw someone's going to be coming for earth after that that's right yeah that's the thing that all the ghouls know that earth are the ones that blew up raw well actually no they didn't technically they know that Abydos rebelled against Ra and that Ra died there. Uh, I, okay, but by they they would have still kidnapped Sharoi and, and Skara and 
like seen Daniel on Abydos because they went there next. And if they still took Sharae and Skara as hosts, then the gold would have known everything that happened in the movie and that they came from Earth and everything. And that would have, like, something would have happened that led to Earth being threatened again, but there wouldn't have been an SGC program to prepare them for all this. So there would probably be an, be an even deeper shit, but, you know, Samuels is an idiot and he's the... He's he's the straw man in this episode, and he's the one who gets to be wrong about everything, and we get to laugh in his face when he is, because uh, yeah. he's so damn hateable. Um, yeah, and he's like he's just yeah he's he's just like gloating basically in this scene and saying oh my my plan is gonna work and every they're gonna make me president after it's done uh, <laughs> or some bullshit. Uh, so we're back on now. We're on Apophis's ship, which is like the first we've seen of the inside of it, where Apophis is himself, uh, and like Raytac again, still wearing his helmet because we still uh, they still want to keep the surprise that it's him. He rings into that ship, and Apophis asks him about Torel. So I and, don't. Uh, I wasn't on the part of the movie with the rings, and I don't think I was. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've been in the show yet. I ended up mm-hmm. wiking them when, because I'm like, how do these things actually work? They're clearly mm-hmm. designed to look like a whole bunch of little stargates, but there's no right. wormhole. But there's no kawoosh. No. There's no wormhole. No, no, no. It's yeah. It's, it's some kind of energy beam. It's it's just a star. It's just a Star Trek transporter. It disintegrates you yeah. and stores a copy of the data according it's, to the wiki. Yeah, it's a transporter, and there's going to be eventually they're going to explain it more, and they're going to show that there's a visible like beam of light that links the two. Uh, the two rings that activate, and you can kind of see like some when there's like a flash of light when something is being transferred, and you can intercept it if you like stick another ring transporter in the middle of it. It's really weird. Like, yeah, and it's like it's it's not very consistent. Uh, uh, also, the, the, finally, the, the wiki article also pointed out the ones in the movie have nine rings, and the ones in the show only have five. <laughs> yeah, budget, I mean that's so more efficient. It. Yeah, Apophis just Apophis just has better just has better rings. Yeah, he has better ships too. They, yeah, but, I mean the, the ship was way faster than Tilk thought too. So he just like he upgraded all the shit in the year since Tilk has been with him, I guess. Um, so yeah, uh, Braytac explains that uh, Chlorel was killed over there. Uh, Apophis says so clearly they put him in the sarcophagus, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, it's gonna take a little time to revive him. Not that long, actually, but, you know, uh, he just tells him, don't, don't fret. It's fine. I got it under control over there while you're, oh, well, you can stay here and, and coordinate the attack. Uh, and Apophis says, uh, basically he says, like, we're, yeah, he, Apophis is just really angry at the humans in general for, uh, for uh, daring to attack Chlorel. So he's like, and now we're gonna wait for Chlorel to revive and then we're gonna attack. Um, because, you know, always nice to, to give the good guys a nice margin for them to get their shit together. Uh, speaking of not getting their shit together, uh, Samuels is now briefing everyone. Uh, basically he's, He's built two nice big uh, uh, Nacroda missiles, <laughs> nukes actually, uh, and like we see a nice little presentation that he has on a on a monitor at the in the briefing room where the word Nacroda is misspelled, <laughs> which is probably not intentional, but I th- I think it's really funny that this is like the bad plan from the stupid guy and like the the word is just spelled wrong on the thing. Uh, to be fair, they say Nakoda, and then the subtitles also misspell it, but in a different way. So clearly, no one knows how to spell that word. Uh, it's, in, it's supposed to be N A Q U A D A H for 
anyone who's curious out there. Uh, so yeah, uh, Samuels's big uh, infallible plan that he's super smug about is we're gonna launch two nukes at those two ships that are like Nakoda enriched, which is supposed to make them like a hundred times more powerful or whatever it is. And uh, he hasn't seen Independence Day, so he doesn't know that alien spaceships have shields and that nukes are completely useless against them. Uh, which, like you know, anyone who with even a cursory knowledge of sci-fi could have told him. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, Hammond is like the skeptic in the room because he keeps like questioning all the, f- the 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 holes, poking holes in Samuels's plan during the briefing. Is like, you know, you say that those missiles are indetectable to radar. We don't even know that the Gould have anything like that's even analogous to radar. So how do we know that's going to do any good? Uh, but yeah, this Samuels is like, yeah, well, eh, eh, we're going to do it, and it's going to work. You're going to see. Um, so we're back on the brig, and now we're finally. Uh, we this is where we see finally that the the guy with the helmet was Braytac. If if we hadn't recognized him uh, yet, because he goes over and sees them, and he he opens his helmet to make sure that they see it's him. Because uh, yeah, like, yeah pretty o- sure the only reason the helmets exist is to delineate who's a guest star and who's an extra, <laughs> <laughs> right? And like to for 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 just a just a handy way to to hide. Uh, the identity of someone you do, you want it to be a surprise a little bit later in the episode. Uh, like this is exactly you, how Tilk Tilk was when he was first introduced. Right, that's where- that's true. <laughs> when when you have a dramatic helmet open, it draws the attention. And like Apophis too had one in his first appearance. Any anytime it's someone important, you can just have the helmet open, and then it's you know you remember them. Um, like O'Neill and Teal'c are prepared to ambush the guard that's coming to see them, but they see his Braytac and they go like, "Whoa, wait, we don't have to do that." But the first thing, the first thing Braytac does is punch O'Neill in the face. It's very rude. <laughs> so, that's a very rude yeah. move. <laughs> yeah, he's just very angry at uh, that SG One's uh, ill thought out plan because Braytac, I guess, had a handle on everything. Him with his like four guys that he has were gonna take over. We're, he was like, he's gonna explain later that his plan was to. To basically go over on Apophis's ship and start shooting and say that they were on Chlorel's side and just try to stir shit so that they get the two ships to, to shoot at each other. And that, that that was the big plan. He also basically planned to die in the exploding ships by stopping the attack on Earth because he's come to accept the idea that maybe the humans on Earth are the only ones that can actually stand up to the Gould. Uh, which is, you know... I think it's funny. He comes to this conclusion, it, but also still spends the entire episode insulting them. Yeah, because he's like he's because he's also really angry at them because now that they've quote unquote killed Clorel, uh, now they're gonna be best buddies again, and there's no way he's gonna drive a wedge between them. Um, <laughs> uh, he's yeah, that, that, that's basically the main reason why he's angry at them. But like O'Neill does make a good point after this that hey, uh, they're attacking our planet. Did you just expect us to sit, sit on our thumbs and? do nothing that's you we, we could have like maybe like communicated with each other and coordinated or something but it got complicated you know the senator on earth tried to shut down the stargate right before this so that was bad we, uh, we also actually have no way of receiving messages from you because we that won't open the gate without a transponder uh-huh and- that's another problem that they have that they're eventually going to resolve but you know uh <laughs> human uh, i don't yeah, want to hear these problems, human, human. <laughs> yeah like the ferengi would say uh only will start to like be annoyed that Raytag keeps calling them human um uh 
uh yeah and there, there's a little conversation between teal and braytac and like uh yeah that as i said before uh this is where braytac says like yeah i i kind of agree with you that these folks are probably the best shot we have against gold um i i also do like um, that braytac has a couple of jaffa with has a couple of jaffa with him like yep he has he the entirety in, when he was first it's introduced art. it was it very much looked like he was just like one crazy guy by himself uh-huh. Yeah, but it's like that. That's going to be the reveal later in this episode. Is that like those two uh, nameless Jaffa extras that follow him around that don't say anything this whole episode are are literally it. That's the entire resistance right there. Uh, he hasn't vanished too, uh, or, or actually, or at least all of the resistance that is on these ships is these two dudes and Braytac and Teal and SG One. That's it. Um, he, he's doing better than he was last time we saw him in terms of right? resistance. He, he's managed to. To triple the size of, of the resistance <laughs> movement since last time we've seen him. Uh, <laughs> um, um, yeah, so uh, we were, we like Braytac lost them out of the cell, obviously. Um, so we cut back to Earth, uh, and uh, Walter has made a discovery. He's been looking at the very nice, very clear pictures, like, I guess, telescope pictures or satellite footage that they have of the gold ships that apparently only the US is seeing because like they they specifically mentioned that Russia and China have not seen the ships because they're not looking for them uh but like the US has a nice uh, pho- photographic you know clear picture of the ships uh that are in orbit around earth um I have I have it's, thoughts it's, about that that we'll get to at the end of the episode right yeah cuz you know other countries on earth uh being involved in this and this stuff is is gonna turn into a thing um, and, and, and you know just in general other countries have space programs and can would definitely right? notice something big showed up in the right? solar system right that's the thing well, they, they kind of justify it by saying that they're still in like high orbit and like they're not they're not close enough to Earth yet that people would be automatically picking up on them. That's only going to happen later in the episode, but it's still... Anyway, the anyway, we'll, we'll talk about it at the end of this episode. Uh, Walter's looking at the ships, and the, the, the picture of them he has is so clear that he can see the front window on the bridge of Chlorel's ship, and he sees a nice big flash of light, which is the, the time that SG-1 got flashbanged. Uh, <laughs> He has, like, a, a really clear picture of it, which is really impressive based on, you know, I, I guess Hubble is it is pointed straight at this thing, and it's really close to it, because, wow. Uh, I feel that, like pointing that, the Hubble telescope at something that close would mostly uh-huh. just end up, like, trying to look at something really close with a, oh, with yeah, something right. with a magnifying glass too close. <laughs> Yeah, Hubble is built to look at distant galaxies, so yeah, the focus is probably not good. So this, it's got to be like an Earth observatory that is pointed straight at the ships has, has managed to look at it. And uh, anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, I was imagining it was just a satellite pointed away from Earth, straight at it. Yeah, maybe maybe it could be a satellite, like a photo satellite, but I don't even know. I, I was trying to think, because yeah, we have photo satellites and we definitely had them in the, in the 90s, like enough that they could take shots of stuff especially if like they're clearly linked up with nasa and have access to all their stuff as we're going to see at the end of the episode again um so so yeah they just come and commandeered that to look at it directly which is nice uh 
they're they're not completely blind to all of this. Uh, but the the thing is, like, <clears throat> Walter has noticed that flash, and they go, look, Samuel thinks this some kind of accident happened on that ship, and they said, oh, it's, it must be SG one that is under. And Samuel's like laughs it off and says, oh wait, they 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 ran out through the Stargate to an unknown destination that that can't possibly be that they're on that ship. Um, and like Hammond gets a pissy at him after this because he says, you know, your plan is bullshit too, and we're still doing it. So why don't you just sh- shut the fuck up right now? Um, uh, yeah. Uh, then this other lady, who is one of like Walter's eventual replacements whenever Walter isn't around, turns around and tells Hammond uh, that the first Alpha group has arrived, and he has to do his thing, which is we're going to see his next scene. Um, so yeah, now we're back on the ship, uh, uh, and Braytaka, as mentioned before, he's giving them back uh, their weapons so that they can go and save the day in the Stargate room specifically. That is once again completely completely unguarded. Uh, <laughs> um, see, this is where yeah, this is where Braytaka explains the plan I alluded to earlier, where he was hoping to drive a wedge between Corel and Apophis and get them to fight each other instead of attacking Earth. Uh, and like yeah, he uh, Braytac says specifically he he made sure that Chlorel would be revived to in order to specifically delay the attack because he knew Apophis would want to wait, uh, and if Chlorel was just dead, Apophis would be angry and just launch the attack immediately. So, like he he wanted to buy them time, which makes sense. And also, you know, not not that Chlorel cares about this, but Skara is their friend. <laughs> They're theoretically trying to save him through all this. Remember. Um, but that's not even going to come back up in this episode. Uh, that's that 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 whole plan has gone out the window now. Um, so we're back on Earth, uh, and uh, Hammond is uh, speaking to everyone. And I feel like a version of this scene existed in the uh, there before the grace of God. We, it, we, it's it's basically the same idea. He's introducing the idea of the Alpha Site. Is talking to everyone while the, the Stargate is dialing behind him, and he's like he has a group of Earths best and brightest in front of him, which is just nondescript extras wearing yeah, olive uh, jumpsuits <laughs> that are about to step through there, and who have not been briefed at all, because it, it's clear from what he's saying that uh, he had these people, I guess, like apprehended, kidnapped, like they, they they just sent Air Force people to their home and said, get into this car and don't ask any questions, and like without any explanation, just shuffled them over to Colorado and had them all... I mean, all... that's basically what they did to Daniel, so... <laughs> yeah, basically, but but there's like 20 people that are there. It, presumably, that's just the first of many groups. Um, but like, the the Stargate opens behind him, and he just, Hammond just points at it and says, you're going to step through there, uh, we're, you're going to end up on the, alpha, on the Alpha side that's on another planet on the end of the galaxy, uh, and if we all die, you're going to start a new Earth over there. Uh, he, does, he doesn't even say, are there any questions but i feel like he kind of jumped over the part where they're under attack by aliens i don't know that these people even know about this Um, we're going to to find out later that this is the same address as the as the beta site in the yep in the other universe yep do you think they just he just copied the address from daniel's report yeah it's possible it's like the 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 other universe found a nice planet over there and just changed the name just changed the name despite the other him (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we, we're, we're the alpha side. That makes it sound like we got there first, even though <laughs> even though we got the idea from them. Yeah, good point. Uh, the alpha side is going to uh, be a recurring uh, 
destination on the, on this show from from here on out. Um, I mean, it, it's useful to just have another place that you can right? dial to. And yes, sometimes sometimes going back to Earth is inconvenient, so they can just go there instead, as we're going to see at the end of this episode. Uh, so uh, Clorel wakes up and he's real angry now. Um, he 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 gets he sits up in in his sarcophagus, doesn't even stand up, and just yells that he wants to just burn the earth to ashes. Um, so the, the 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 ships start moving right away. Uh, we see that Earth's radar has picked up some movement, and like Samuel's he is on the phone and he says, "Restart the countdown. Hold at T minus twenty seconds." Which I just like. Was the countdown already running? And he's saying now, start it over. But when you get to twenty seconds, stop. That, 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 that anyway, maybe that's just military jargon. But what he means is, uh, put the timer on twenty and start the count. Start the countdown when I tell you to. Um, so uh, yeah. Then, then, like yeah, we're back on the ship, and Braytac says, "All right, uh, now." Like he, he says. Someone asks him, so how many people do you have like helping you? And he says three. Uh, that's, so that's the two folks we've seen in the background and Braytac. And he says, well, we have four now with Teal, which is, you know, it's kind of funny that he doesn't even count the humans in this. Um, but uh, yeah. Which is a big uh, mistake because we're going to see that Daniel Jackson uh, can definitely kill people now. Oh, yeah. He's like, Daniel Jackson believes he's BJ Blazkowicz now, we're going to see. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to see what what the what Braytac's plan at this point. Oh, yeah. So Braytac's plan is to get some gliders, get out of the ship before it blows up. And then when Earth's starships show up to defend Earth, they can just join the battle with them. And that's going to, you know, tilt the scales in Earth's favor. And, like, uh, we, we missed a part earlier where Braytac asks them about Earth's ship, and both O'Neill and Daniel just say, oh, we have a couple shuttles. Um, it's a pretty funny moment. Uh, because, like, uh, O'Neill mentions the shuttle again at this point. He says, do you think, really think we're going to do anything with four gliders and maybe a shuttle? Um and like Teal points out, yeah. So if we go out there in ships, they're just going to launch a hundred ships against us and kill us immediately. It's not going to do any good. Uh, uh, and and is like basically, yeah. Well, uh, I'm offering to to die defending your planet. So I would take take what I'm offering you with some more, with some grace, please. Uh, and the back and like, forth yeah, between Braytac and O'Neill is so good because they're just both <laughs> so annoyed at how little the other one brought to the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And O'Neill is like, well, he paraphrases uh, I think Patton when he said like, yeah, let's get the other side to die for their planet first, alright? Um, so, uh, yeah, they... So, uh, so the, what they, so apparently they have 41 minutes left until the C4 blows up now, uh, which, yeah, they've been out in the brig for a while now. And like, they've, I guess, I guess that's, that's the time it took for the alpha people to come, to get over to Colorado and everything. Uh, <laughs> cause like some time has passed since the start of this episode. Hey, it's really, uh, but, it's really convenient for them. I just thought of this now. Mm-hmm. They're not dialing the gate. They have their own gate that's aligned to Earth right now and could just block the entire thing. Oh, you're right. They could do that. They could specifically do the thing that they do in the other dimension to prevent them from leaving, right? Yeah, <laughs> but they they're don't just do that. Not doing it. Just completely they, just slip their mind. So, 
Apophis is just too worried about Corel to think about doing anything like that. He's just completely on standby for this whole 20 hours or whatever. Um, I mean, he, he is just so excited to see his son commit his first massacre here. Oh, yeah. He, he, he brought him over there. It's like the first, it's the ghoul equivalent of, yeah, of, you know, a hunting trip. He's, he's so excited to like get him into his thing. Like, um, this is, this is the happiest we have ever seen Apophis. Yep. Yep. Uh, briefly. And then it's going to be the most pissed we've seen Apophis in a while. Um, yeah. it, it's important <laughs> so, to yeah, experience a wide range of emotions to, to flux and go right. from Yeah. 10 to, to really one. bond with your son. Uh, um, yeah, so O'Neill says, yeah, okay, so the C4 is going to blow in in 41 minutes. How about we find a way to get to the other ship and figure something out from there? You go, okay, that's the start of a plan. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we, we cut back to, down to Earth, and Samuels is saying over the phone that apparently the ships are now in geosynchronous orbit over the U.S. specifically, so uh, that's, that's their go. They can shoot it out of their own Earth space now, which is convenient. Um, this is the time to launch the missiles. Uh, so they do that. We, we get a nice, nice, some nice, uh, stock footage of launching, launching rockets on the CRT monitor, uh, and like some radar shots of them tracking where the missiles are. And Hammond, while he's looking at that, goes, All right, get the next batch of people ready to leave to so, the Stargate. And Sam was. <laughs> so Russia and China don't know about the Gavel ship. Right? So and you just so launched these intercontinental bullets. Yep, ballistic these, missiles. These, these are ICBMs that shoot up to space, like every DEFCON system in the world, like in NATO and Russia and China, should be going off right now. And every phone, like Bill Clinton's phone, should be ringing off the hook with every world leader going, "Why the fuck are you launching two nukes into space right now? Where are those going?" Uh, no, no one, no one mentions anything. It's it's all completely goes sweat under the rug. Uh, they haven't noticed. No one is looking at the sky over the U.S. right now for some reason. Uh, yeah, this this you know stretches suspension of disbelief a little bit because it's like considering that we're uh, two season two seasons out from other countries definitely noticing stuff happening in space. I mean, uh, it, it is the it is the 90s. We are in this like little 10-year gap when nobody was worried about nuclear war, but right? Yeah, it was it was like it was it was only Putin's first presidency at this point, so like things were still chill. Um yeah. Um all, all good points, but yeah. Uh, so, uh, like, yeah. As I said, Hammond says, send the next people through the Stargate, and ha- Samuel's is like, "Come on, man! <laughs> Don't you want to see if the missiles work first? And Hammond's like, "I'm not even gonna dignify that with an answer." Uh, he's just like completely convinced that the missile plan is bullshit, um, and like Samuel's tries to like honey Hammond up and say, you know, I don't even think SG-1 is really there, because, like, you were probably wrong about that, too, so it's probably fine, which is such a nice thing to say. Thank you, man. Uh, uh, so, yeah, that, that's, that's it for this scene. Uh, we're back on the ship now. Uh, we have the that nameless Jaffa, <laughs> who's a rebel, locks the door behind them. Uh, they're, they're, they're at the door to the, the glider bay, I guess. Um, uh, Braytag asks O'Neill, do you have any more of this 4C? And like O'Neill doesn't even answer his question. He says, it's called C4. And then Carter is the one who has to explain, no, we don't have any more. Um, uh, 
yeah. And then, like, <laughs> Daniel says, well, you guys must have something left. Uh, Britak says, well, we have to cross that bridge when we come to it, which is a callback to a thing that he learned back in Bloodlines, where uh, O'Neill used, uh, used that expression. Uh, and O'Neill's a little annoyed at this, because he's like, you know, uh, you can just say that all the time. It doesn't... Even though it, it kind of does work in this context. Britak kind of got it. Yeah. <laughs> um... So yeah, uh, back on, uh, there, there's like, okay, there's, there's a funny cut coming up because, uh, on Earth, uh, they're still looking at the, 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 the missiles on screen and Samuel says, uh, the gold will never know what hit him. And we immediately caught up to Apophis looking out the window straight at the, the two missiles coming towards them and going, <laughs> those, those fucking goobers down there. What the fuck do they think they're doing? He just like, he, 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 he kind of want, wants to play chicken with the, <laughs> with the missiles. And he's like, I, I'm just going to pop the shields at the last second to really fuck with them. Um, and like, you see Chlorel on the other ship who wants to, uh, to raise the shields, but like Skara is kind of like still has a grip on him a little bit. He 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 tries to hold his hand and prevent him from doing that. And like the the other Jafar sees this and he's he starts to get worried and he's like, "Hey, uh, my lord, please raise the shields. Uh, we might blow up if you don't do that." Uh, we got an insert shot of Apophis kind of like whispering to Chlorel to like get your shit together, basically. <laughs> Which you know, if 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 you didn't think that, if you didn't know better, you might think there was some kind of telepathic communication between them that he was trying to like communicate something to him, but it's really just like him trying to like whispering to himself to come on do do what you have to do uh and scara does manage uh sorry chlorel does manage to like get the get the upper hand you see his eyes glow and then he puts his hand down on the thing to raise the shields and boom the two missiles just like blow up on the shields uh it's exactly like an independence day it's straight up a ripoff of that one shot of the missiles like hitting the shield and nothing happens uh, we get like a, a shot of, of SG-1 inside the ship. We, we just like hear a little rumbling and like Daniel holds himself on the wall a little bit and go in, and he goes, what was that? Um, clearly the missiles didn't do anything, surprising nobody. Um, so yeah, we have like, uh, we, we got back down to earth and like when Walter confirms that the ships are still there, we just see Samuel's face goes, ah, I'm, we're fucked, aren't we? Uh, then we're going to see him later. It's going to be pretty funny. Uh, all right. Now, uh, the rebels are up on, uh, oh, right. No, they're not going for the glider bay. They're, they're still trying to, uh, ring over to the other ship. Uh, are, uh, they're in, still in Clarel's ship. Um, they, 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 they walk up to, uh, where the bridge is and there's a bunch of Jaffa there finally, uh, <laughs> in this surprisingly quiet and unguarded ship. Um, O'Neill manages to do a cool action roll and zaps the two, uh, the two Jaffa. I think we hear the sound effect twice, which confirms that they're dead. Uh, and yet you get a, a nice little moment where Braytac acknowledges that O'Neill did pretty good. Um, and yeah, we're back on Earth, and like Hammond is now calling the president and saying, "Hey, uh, we're we're kind of fucked here. There's two ships, and your golden boy Samuels' plan didn't work. Shit, uh, <laughs> those nukes just blew up on the shields. Uh, they're unaffected. Everything is still uh, going tits up. Uh, which, like Hammond recommends that they don't." tell anyone anything because they they don't want to cause a panic which you know that's going to be real comforting once spaceships start blowing the earth up uh, but like Hammond says 
Clinton should get into Air Force One and start flying over there ASAP. Um, which, you know, uh, this is also what happened in the other reality. Um, now we're back on Apophis' ship and the rings activate and Chlorel is the one who's coming up to uh, pay a visit to his dad now. Um, and like Apophis is saying, all right, it's time. You go back to your ship, shoot your lasers. Uh, you're going to blow up the first city, son. <laughs> it's like the, the ghouled equivalent of here, there's a deer right there. Uh, I'm going to help you aim and you shoot that deer. Uh, it's basically what they're doing. Um, and like Chlorel tries to tell him, you know, uh, I was just dead and I think I'm not back up to full strength yet and my host is trying to gain an upper hand on me maybe I should rest up a little bit more before we do this and Apophis is like no, no, we're not going to do that you're, he's too proud, he's like you're my son, you don't need that you're going you're gonna to do it and we're going to blow this planet up if it's the last thing we do today alright, alright, cool he simply <laughs> believes that there shouldn't be any sleep until he gets to Brooklyn it's a very fair attitude <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, I like that um, he ringed over to the other ship for this conversation and then rings back. Yeah, they, they don't have radios or anything. They have like teleporters, and that's just as good, I guess. If, if we if I, we can have a conversation have big, in person, they have that big the big floaty ball thing. But right, they could use the balls, but no, face to face, not even face to face, because Apophis never turns around in this whole conversation. He just speaks to him from over his shoulder this whole time. Uh, Apophis will never look away from the camera. No, yeah, he's he's too. He likes. He knows. He needs to look out the window. As we've seen, it's very useful to look out the window and see things, uh, as Tilk has shown us over these past couple episodes. Uh, so yeah, uh, we're back on Clorel's ship, like right outside the room where presumably Clorel just ringed back. Um, although they're they're not even right there yet. Uh, There's still sentries in the corridors, as Britak warns them. Uh, so uh, O'Neill wants to first like use one of their two grenades that they have to blow up those guys, uh, which you know not that they've been very stealthy so far, but uh, it would make a lot of noise. And Braytag is is not into that plan, and he does uh, basically like Braytag suddenly remembers that everyone still thinks he's not a rebel, uh, so he just walks out in front of the guards and just like kind of nods at them as he's walking past, and then when he's right in front of them, he's just like knocks them both out by whacking them with a stick, uh, and then he, he has a <laughs> he nice like this though by telling by telling Jack to. Observe and learn, and then yeah. he goes and does something that no, only he could have done because right. everyone, anyone else would have immediately got shot. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah. If, what, what he really meant is if, if O'Neill ever should need to, I don't know, murder some U.S. troops, he can definitely use that plan. <laughs> right? Yeah, just just pretend to be. Yeah, and have a stick and whack whack him with it. <laughs> they they might question why you have a stick with you, but don't don't worry, just just go along with it. Uh, but yeah, no, what Great Act really meant was check this shit out, check out how cool I am. And he does this thing, because like he, the, the way he like kind of flips his stick uh, uh, behind his shoulder and grins at them after he's done that is really like, ha uh, he, he loves doing that. Uh, and like this time, it's O'Neill's turn to acknowledge that Britak is pretty cool, because he says not bad. Um, and now <laughs> we have, oh god, okay, uh, they they apparently have a coffee and booze table that they've installed under the stairs at the SGC. Oh, wait, no, sorry, I thought it was booze bottles, but I think it's just salt and pepper. Um, 
It's like there's a phone and some spoons and stuff. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, he's just drinking coffee. Samuels has gone Rodney Danger- Dangerfield at this point. He's like uh, loosened his tie, opened his jacket, sat down, and is drinking coffee completely dejected uh, at, at, at that little coffee nook that's in the control room. Uh, uh, well, it's, be- it's because nobody will give him respect. Uh. <laughs> right, right. He, he, he gets no respect. His space nukes like didn't work, and now he's completely Completely, uh, the the laughing stock of the entire Air Force, which, like appropriately enough, this is the last scene we're g- we're gonna get of Colonel Samuels, basically for the entire rest of the show. <laughs> He's gonna show back up in season eight at the end of season eight for. a a cameo, but that's it. Aside from that, he's just out of the show after this point. Uh, and he's he's really pathetic. <laughs> he's just like sitting on his chair, and he says, uh, "Okay, okay, hang on. Uh, we could we could beam a nuke over there with the Stargate. You know that thing we keep talking about." Um, and um, and like Hyman says, "Yeah, we tried that. We don't. We can't even like connect the Stargate to the address we got for MSG One now." Um, and like, and Hammond does point out that he can't think of a good reason to wipe out the people of Chulak, which is, you know, one better than alternate O'Neill did in that episode, because that's the exact thing he did. Uh, so it's like, I guess that was the last idea for a plan that Samuels had, because he goes, well, if that's not gonna work, uh, how about I just go through the Stargate and run away from this mess now? And Hammond's like, no, you fucking don't. You're gonna, like, go over to the armory and pick up a gun and, like, be on the front line of defense and, like, get fucking shot by a Jaffa for your trouble. Uh, basically. God, he's is- such a coward. <laughs> He's such a fucking little rat face. Oh, I hate him so much. It's it's so good to see him being humiliated like this. Uh, I also I forgot to mention it earlier when he's briefing everyone. He says that the 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 Nakoda missile project was led by him and Colonel Mayborn, another uh, hateable guy we hate. So uh, I I I'm, I feel really sorry for their staff that have had to work with these two guys as, as their bosses. It's, it sounds like hell to make these missiles that uh, weren't of any use to anyone. Uh, somehow Mayborn is not gonna doesn't seem to uh, get the fallout from the, his missiles that he was also on the team for uh, not doing anything because he's gonna still have his job next time we see him. Um, uh, yeah, okay. Now we're back on the ship once again. Uh, they're just outside the. Yeah, okay. Uh, they're ju- now they're just outside the the bridge room on the ship, and uh, Braytac now has another plan uh where he's like all right here's my plan i'm just gonna walk in there once again <laughs> and go up to chlorel and say hey by the way i'm a rebel <laughs> that's uh he just like gets right up and s- starts like uh telling chlorel that he sucks and that he's like he hates him and he he's gonna like be so happy when they win um and chlorel just like is very angry and starts torturing him with his hand device, which I guess is the signal, because all Braytac told the rest of the guys was, wait for my signal, and the signal is, ah, I'm dying. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's uh, a pretty recognizable signal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Good. I mean, okay, that's some kind of plan. It works out in the end, but, oh, wow, that's a a gambit right there. Um, But yeah, the two rebels plus SG-1 go in there shooting their guns. Uh, The the two nameless rebel Jaffa get 
completely shot for their troubles. They die in this scene, so we don't need to even think about them anymore. Sorry, uh, Glorious Jafar Rebellion, you're back down to two now, I guess. Um, but yeah, everyone else is fine, obviously. They shoot all the Jafar in there, and Teal'c manages to grab Chlorel from behind this time uh, and stop him from killing Britak without shooting him for once. Uh, meanwhile... <laughs> The thing we alluded to before, where Daniel, Daniel Jackson thinks, what the hell are you doing? fucking thinks he's John McClane because he he pops out of the cover he's in and starts not only shooting guns akimbo, but he has a pistol in his left hand and his fucking MP5 uh, assault rifle in the other hand, which he's just shooting like like at the, the gripping it like uh, at the whole whole arm's length away. This looks like somehow he manages. to to fire a whole volley into one Jaffa with that gun. Uh, I don't know. Actually, he does kill two of them. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. Uh, but the third this mostly works. <laughs> I don't... I, like, I, this, I want to this... point out, in, in Halo, you are not allowed to dual wield what he is doing. <laughs> no, like, this is... Master Chief cannot pull that off. Yeah, this is, this is a Wolfenstein-only build that he is rocking right there. Like I said, like, he thinks he's BJ Blazkowicz. Uh, he does manage to kill two Jaffa, even though, like, he's clearly aiming these two guns in completely different angles. It looks like his assault rifle would just hit the floor. Um, <laughs> and then, like, the third Jaffa that gets there, like, he mi- Daniel misses him completely, and this Jaffa beans Daniel with, uh, with a staff shot right in the shoulder. Um, and but then, then after like, getting shot, he manages to kill it. Right? He's just sitting on the ground and holding his assault rifle with one hand, still manages to shoot this Jaffa and kill him before he goes. Um, so yeah, O'Neill, uh, alerted by the huge amount of gunfire that is happening from outside the room where only Daniel is left, finally walks out and goes to check up on him and sees that he's like sitting down on the floor, propped up against a column, uh, and very clearly hurt. And Daniel says, yeah, I'm gonna die here. I was shot. Uh, y'all just get over to the other ship and make sure it blows up too. We're all gonna die here anyway. It doesn't matter. Uh, Daniel has apparently completely accepted that this is a suicide mission uh not even like no mention of the fact that he still wants to rescue his wife that he's been talking about so much this whole time he's just like no Uh, i'm gonna die now by the way (laughs) (laughs) um yeah no she doesn't get mentioned in this episode at all uh but yeah, uh, he just yells at O'Neill to go, and O'Neill goes. Uh, and I, I just like to say, like, if you're wondering if this counts as a Daniel death on our counter, I don't consider it that it counts because we don't like ever have a moment where we reasonably think that Daniel died. They just edit all the scenes together that makes it clear that he survived. Like he, no, no one puts him in the sarcophagus. He goes there himself. Clearly, there, there's no point along this chain that uh, <laughs> that he died. So, like, I, I I'm the I'm the Daniel Death judge. This isn't one of them. It's close, though. It could have been one if they if they'd edited the episode differently. Uh, if they'd like, if we if we don't see Daniel until the last scene of this episode, it would count because we would think he was dead. But uh, that's not the case. Um, so yeah, uh, O'Neill just walks back on the bridge and he just says, "Daniel's leave. Uh, Daniel's staying behind." And like Carter just like kind of looks at O'Neill and with a puzzled look, and no one says anything else about it. It's like. <laughs> They they just think he's dead now, and they they don't have time to process it. It's kind of sad, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess Braytac has sabotaged the, the the controls of the ship to make sure that they can't like 
uh, stop the, them, themselves. Like he, he, he set up like a collision course with the other ship basically to, uh, to, to make sure that both ships, uh, get destroyed. Uh, he's turned off the shields also, I guess, which is like, it's not really mentioned. They're gonna have to turn off the, the, sh- the shields on the other ship, but, uh, I guess he did that from here on this one. I, I don't and know we see like a, that, I'm not sure how that plays out. Like, what happens if both, if the ships collide and they have, but are, it's like a drifting and you can't go anywhere else, but the shields are on? I, I guess, I feel my like guess eventually would be the-, the shield would have to give. I feel like they would just be like bumper cars. If it's if it's like shield to shield, it would they would just bump off of each other. What I'm wondering is what happens if Chlorel's ship has the shields and then the ship blows up, but the shields like I know I guess the shields go down when the ship blows up. That's a that's a stupid thing. It would be like it wouldn't contain the explosion or anything. Uh, so I guess it doesn't really matter if the ships are uh, online or offline since like that ship is gonna blow up from the inside anyway. Um, Anyway, they they ring over to Apophis's ship while holding Chlorel hostage. Uh, so, <laughs> like Apophis and the Jaffa immediately see them as they as they come in, but they go, "Wait, no, we have Chlorel here." And we see, ah, like Apophis really cares because like uh, uh, Tilk is holding his son hostage with a zat pointed right at his head, and Apophis actually holds uh, tells the Jaffa to hold their fire. Um, and uh, yeah, this is also the the moment where Apophis finally understands that Jaffa has betrayed him, uh, that Braytak has betrayed betrayed him, because he sees he's there, asks him directly about him about it, and Braytak takes a moment to just gloat at Apophis and say, "Hey, fuck you, old man. Uh, this whole time I fucking hated your guts, and now it feels really good to be able to say it to your face." Um, and he does, as he's saying that, he shoots a staff weapon at the controls on, on this ship so that Apophis can't do anything to control the ship anymore. Uh, and they just walk out, and uh, Teal just, like, kind of uh, pushes Chlorel into the room and then seals the, seals the door closed. Uh, so, so I guess, like, yeah, any, any plan to uh, save Skara from this whole thing has gone out the window now. They're completely expecting to just kill him, which is, you know, I, I guess they've, they've, they've gone over that hump since last episode. They've killed him once. They go, oh, well, uh, not that he's going to die anyway. Uh, but yeah, they, they walk out of the room and they, uh, Teal'c shoots the lock on the door, which disables the door so that, uh, Apophis and Torel and the Dostrafa are stuck in that room. Um, and it, yeah, then Braytac says that, like, when he was on the other ship, he, like, set the autopilot to get the, the two ships to bump into each other. And then Teal completes the thought by saying, like, we just have to disable the shields on this ship and then both of the... To both both of the, the the ships are gonna blow up in the C four and like Teal'c is smiling and he says two birds with but one stone and he's clearly loving this he's Teal'c is fanboying about Braytac so hard in this episode he's like oh haha my my old master and my friend he had he has such a good plan and I love him so much uh, it's really cute uh and then yeah uh we have uh, we have a short scene where where Apophis is very angry towards Clarell uh he just like stares at him and like you you get the impression that he's about to kill him or something which uh considering what I'm going to tell you about the like the last scene we see of them in the episode uh that could have gone really dark in a way that decided they decided against in the end um 
So, uh, we get like, so now, uh, SG1 and Braytag are at the shield generator. I guess did not encounter a single other Jaffa board this ship because the, the episode, the, there's 11 minutes left of the episode and they have to <laughs> speed it up a little bit. Uh, they, so they're on a nice walkway that's standing over the, the, shield core of the ship or the reactor core uh and Braytag is trying to say all right we have to like basically repel down this shaft and go down there and shoot this thing and while he's just saying that O'Neill is whipping out those two grenades he mentioned earlier he unpins them and just like tosses them down and poof, they go boom and that that's it for that shields that that ship's shields uh they just go uh good thing that this doesn't cause some any kind of you know chain reaction that blows I, them up I from do, where they're I standing don't. I have a mute by the fact. I noticed this part mostly because they've been fucking around with XCOM lately, but mm-hmm. they do have you have the models for the shield generator. Uh-huh. And then they have the explosion effect overlay over it. Uh-huh. And then before the explosion effect finishes, they cut away and you never see the blown up shield things. Uh-huh. No, yeah. Uh, we, <laughs> that's we had en- that- exactly enough money for one set of models. We don't have enough for them being destroyed. Yep. I think I I'm not even sure like if if that was a model that might have been CG, it's it's a, it's a really quick really yeah, but the yeah, CG model or the either some, either way they like had that. exactly yeah. enough to have an intact one and yep. not enough to show it getting blown up. Yeah, and like we're, we're gonna get the shots of the gliders later in the episode that are clearly like the big uh, the big expense for special effects for this episode. Uh, yep. So like yeah, <laughs> they didn't have that much money to throw around. Uh, so yeah, uh, they say yeah. All right, we're we're we we blew up the shields. Now this ship doesn't have any shields anymore, and the, both ships are gonna blow up. We've saved the Earth. Good job. Uh, and now also we're aboard this ship, so we're gonna die and blow up when it goes. Um, yeah, Braytag says basically that's the plan. Now we die, and like O'Neill has now decided that I guess uh, they've they've gone this far now. Uh, they don't want to die anymore, even though they started the episode by basically agreeing to the plan where they would die. Uh, but he's like, no, okay, hang on, we, we can figure something out. Let's go to the gliders and like fly them out of here. So that's what they do. Um, so, no, so yeah, the next buck wild thing that happens is, you remember, SG-1, uh, is not in communication with Earth in any way in, during this time, uh, because, like, we cut down on Earth, and Walter is saying, okay, so apparently the two ships are moving closer together, and no one really knows why, uh, and, like, and the next thing, <laughs> Hammond asks, "Is what's the status of the shuttle Endeavor?" And Walter says, "On the pad and standing by." So I know it's been like twenty-four hours since the beginning of this episode. This seems like a really short time to mobilize an entire ass space shuttle to launch it into space. It's an, uh, an impossible <laughs> time frame. You could not. Do this. It's yeah, a ridiculous time. Frame. Yeah. And honestly, they should have they should have cut that they should have cut that line altogether because uh-huh. it would have been so much more impactful. You get to the end and it just shows up. Uh huh. Yeah. Or you know, you you could write it off and say, oh, there was already a shuttle in orbit doing a mission to repair a satellite or something. We just paged them and had them pick you up. Like that 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 would have <laughs> that would have been less weird. But yeah, you just like no. They 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 called NASA. They they say, hey, uh, use your emergency space mission budget to like prep an entire space rocket with a shuttle and crew it. Make sure it's all people who have signed NDAs about the Stargate. By the way, uh, tell them everything about the. Aliens before you send them up there, <laughs> then go up there to like they don't even know that 
Sion is gonna need rescuing with shuttles either. They just like it's it's all on a hunch basically that Hammond has. Uh, <laughs> it's it's really wild. Some really nice uh, storytelling uh, shortcuts are taken in the 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 the, the climax yeah, of this episode. It's a hunch based on something that they've been assuming impossible this whole time, right? Yeah, and it's gonna be even more impossible. We're we're gonna talk about how how they do this because it doesn't make any sense either. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, they're they're at the glider bay now. Uh, there's there's guards inside the glider bay. F- this ship only seems to guard the insides of their rooms, uh, except the shield generator, I guess, which had no guards whatsoever. Uh, and now Onya starts to say, "Hey, uh, so let's let's have a tactical plan. Go in, go in there and shoot everyone." And Braytak is the one who goes, "Wait, shut up! I have a better plan." Uh, he goes, uh, he he. Uh, it pulls out one of these balls we saw at the start of this this episode, the the gold uh, flashbangs, and he just like rolls it in there, and it goes off and knocks every Jaffa that's in that room down out. And like Braytax says, now that's a grenade. And I, I really wish only would say no, that that's a flashbang. We have those. It's it's different. It's not quite the same thing, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's how they manage to incapacitate every single Jaffa that's in this glider bay and then go in there and just like take two of them. Uh, they split up like Braytak with only on one and Teal'c with Carter in the other one because like each of them has a Jaffa that knows how to pilot this, I guess, and a human that doesn't. Um, yeah, and like the, that's the point where Braytak says like he tosses like a uh, like a communicator yeah, a good thing, thing that they left Dan- good thing they left Daniel behind otherwise yeah, that's, it just would have been very awkward like, yeah they would have had like so one of us has to like be alone in there or, like one of us is going to have to like i guess O'Neill would be the one who like nerves on the on the spot to fly one cuz he's the one who has the most experience as an air force officer so he probably knows how to fly planes so but and still on the other like hand, Daniel might be able to read the controls yeah, possibly. <laughs> Maybe like you stick them together and put Braytac by himself on another one. I don't know. Um, Daniel's a commando now. Daniel can do anything he wants. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's just a video game yeah, protagonist. You just you just have like a, a press F to pilot this ship, and then like it's the WASD controls. It's easy. Um, yeah, uh, so Braytac tosses O'Neill uh, like a little communicator that you like stick on your cheek. It looks like a, it, it looks a little bit like those pads that Harlan put on their mouths in, in that one episode that prevented them from speaking. But this is like a, a CB radio or communicator type thing that is just stuck like, on their we, cheeks. We don't, we don't quite have Bluetooth headphones. We don't quite no. have Bluetooth communications yet, but uh-huh. I think we know what they're going to look like. So this uh-huh. is our best guess. It's a little bit like that, but it's a sticker for some reason. It's, it's, yeah, it's the moment I saw it, I hated um, it. I'm just telling you, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and Braytac says, put, put that on human. And that's when O'Neill says, hey, stop calling me human. Uh, which, okay. I, I kind of wish Braytac says, all right, dog, what do you want? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, then we get, uh, we. I think we... We skipped over it a little bit, but like Daniel did go into the sarcophagus, and now we see a shot of him coming out of it. Uh, that thing works fast. Like it seemed to take hours to fix Corel earlier, who got shot a couple times, and Daniel got shot by a staff weapon. But like, he was still well, fixed. In- it had to. It had to fix the host and the get. Well, this only has to fix one person. Yeah, right. That 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 might be it. It also like fixed his clothes because there's no hole in his clothes anywhere or anything. Uh, that's I think I was thinking of that earlier when I went, made, made sure to check because past in- instances had them still have holes in their clothes, but this one they just forgot, I guess. Um, well, and like it took a- just, Apophis just has 
slightly better versions of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. I, it took like 20 to 30 minutes or something, because like, uh, Daniel comes out of the sarcophagus, the first thing he does is run over to the C4 brick he planted earlier, and we see that there's one minute and 16 seconds left on it. So he really needs to get out of there now. Um, we get a shot of Apophis trying to use the completely blasted up uh, remains of the controls of his ship to try to like to swerve out of the way of the other ship, uh, and then like he realizes no, there's nothing. This is co- a complete loss, and he goes over to the rings and rings out of there. And like this is okay. So this shot, Chlorel is standing there completely in, unmoving as the rings activate and they beam out of there. Uh, this this one shot was added in post like late in the development of this episode because the original intent was to like have Chlorel die in this episode and I guess imply that Apophis killed him before beaming out by himself. But after the 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 season finale of season one aired, uh, the forums of where the fans, uh, like, I guess the gate world forums back then, back then, uh, were basically full of people posting that, uh, that Skara better not be dead because everyone loves Skara and uh, they wanted him to survive the, all of this and he, he better, like, they better not kill him. <laughs> and the, the, like, the showrunners actually read the forums and they went, oh shit, we might be fucking something up here. We're killing off a guy that all the fans love. So, we need to figure out a way to keep him alive. Uh, and like, yeah, there's a solution for this. Even though like he was dead last episode and if they wanted him to stay dead, they could have just not have him show up in this one. They still had a whole arc for him in this episode and they just stuck this like JPEG of him on the picture of him being beaming off at the end of the episode to signify that no, like, don't worry. He's fine. He did not go back to his home planet and die on the way there. Uh, Scara is still alive and so is Chlorel, obviously and Apophis. They, now, having they, sat through the entire first season, I am surprised that there was enough of a fandom in existence around the first season to do that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, it's uh, apparently like it blew up pretty fast because it was like the biggest show on Showtime. Uh, it wasn't yet in syndication, so that's the part where it's kind of almost weird that it had such a dedicated fan base from season one. Uh, but like it, it, it season one wasn't very good. It was. No. Okay, but it's I mean, like by by nineties sci-fi shows, yeah, you know, you had you had I think DS9 was still on the air back then and like yeah, Voyager you're, was you're, going on. But you yeah. you would have yeah, had you had that you you had had seven days. Your active comparisons are You would have had uh mm-hmm. no, I mean Highlander's seven. fantasy. Yeah, Highlander and like Babylon five was airing currently yep. at this time, I believe too. Um so yeah, it's like it's not like there was like a uh, there wasn't a drought of sci-fi on TV, and this was clearly like season one of Stargate was probably not the best season of sci-fi that was on TV that year. Definitely, uh, X Files was also on, obviously. Um, but yeah, it, it it was enough that it started a fan a fandom online, uh, even on Showtime. Like I think the big bulk of the fandom came in later when the show hit syndication, which would have been after season two, I think. Yes, yeah, uh, that, that that that's what that's what I thought too. And the fact that yeah. no, there was enough of a fandom in season one for us to change how season two opens is yeah. surprising. Yeah, there was enough. Uh, maybe it's just like a, a vocal minority, and it was the case of like there, there was like I don't know, a hundred people that were posting on the forums, and the showrunners were there because it was the only community they had to talk about their show or to at least lurk and see what people were saying about their show. Uh, it, it was enough to change <laughs> to, to change their plans for this, I guess. Uh, 
but yeah, that's 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 significant for that, and it's it's funny because you know uh, Scar and Clarell are going to come back and give us some pretty good episodes later down the line. So uh, these would have maybe not happened if they'd gone through with their orig- original plan. Some some real uh, some real kill Jack in the first episode of Lost kind of thing almost happened thing there. Um, so yeah, uh, we we get a, a shot of Daniel going to the Stargate and dialing it. And it's like it's one of those Hollywood countdowns where there's like 12 seconds left on the timer, and we see all these scenes of everyone getting out of there just in the nick of time. Because like we know Puffus and Chloriel left, we see uh, SG1 and Braytac in the gliders leaving the bay, and Daniel going to the Stargate and managing to dial out in the 10 seconds that are left on the timer that we see. Um, and he does manage like to get out of there. Daniel takes a second to try to remember the address because he's trying to remember the address of what he saw as the beta site in the in the the other in the other reality, and he managed to uh, thankfully remember it fully. Uh, I don't know if like he would have gone to any planet he remembered the address of. I don't know if that's like if any other ones are closer to the top of his mind than than this one, except Earth, which he can't go to as he's gonna explain. Uh, but yeah, uh, right after he steps through the Stargate, we see like the C4 that was on the Stargate has one second left on the timer. So both ships blow up in a big old special effects shot fireball. Uh, they, they seem to have blown up two models of gold ships to shoot that shot, which is pretty cool. Uh, and like the two gliders like get jerked forward by the force of the explosion as they're flying out of there. And, and we see like they, they their wings get real singed by it and you get like immediately understand that the gliders kind of get fucked up by the explosion, even though the people that were in it did uh, did manage to survive. Um, sorry. Okay. Yeah. So they 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 take a second to be like, yeah, woo, we survived. And uh, the great access not not bad for an old man and everything. It's a it's a little funny moment. Uh, yeah, uh, and then Carter is like, "All right, so damage report, bad news time. Uh, the, the gliders are fried. Uh, we can't land them or anything. If we try to land on Earth, we're just gonna burn up in the atmosphere and we're gonna blow up. So uh, it's no good." And O'Neill basically tells her to shut up and look up because they're in orbit around Earth, and they take a moment to appreciate the beauty of it of it all uh, and have that, you know, that, <laughs> that 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 nice ah, wasn't it wasn't it worth it that we did all of this to save Earth? Uh, and probably no one will know that we did this now because we're gonna, just going to die in orbit. Um, so then, then we're back on Earth, and, and the Stargate has been dialed. Uh, they, they get an SG-1 code, so they open the iris, and there's Daniel, and he explains that he uh, gated over to the Alpha site. Uh, he says, yeah, they called it the Beta site where, when I learned it, but uh, yeah, that's where I went, and then he went from there back to Earth, because like he couldn't directly dial Earth, because the ships were in orbit around Earth, so it would have been the same address, so, you know, some consistency in Stargate rules right there, I guess. Uh, and, like, the so Hammond asks him where the rest of SG-1 is, and Daniel just kind of stares at the camera and goes, oh no, and realizes that they're not here. Uh, so, they're in big trouble around the Earth, uh, which, uh, and they're like, uh, they they they're still like kind of like they think they're gonna die and they're like oh at least we get a, a nice beautiful sunset but but then like oh wait there's a space shuttle right in front of them which by the way uh, nice aim that they managed to just happen to be like I guess the shuttle was tracking the gliders and found them and managed to like take a trajectory to intercept them so <laughs> but we only that... see the the shuttle for a couple seconds yeah. but when you're looking at it. You can clearly see it has a cannon arm. 
Oh yeah, of course. Uh, gotta which represent means that the CS, which means that the CSA had to be an author, had to be aware of the laws. Yes. Otherwise, yes. NASA's not allowed to do they it. They made Canada. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I I believe the first time it's confirmed that Canada knows about the Stargate is in season five. It's either right before McKay is introduced or exactly when McKay is introduced. Because um, Rodney McKay is a scientist who works directly for the Canadian government who is going to show up uh, eventually. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be eventually uh, confirmed that Canada knows about the Stargate. Uh, it's just not going to be for a while before they say that. Um, and yeah, uh, the, the fact that there's a Canadarm in there uh, makes me think... Okay, so that's like, uh, that's, you know, that's whole space that is being used by this thing. I don't know how the space shuttle works exactly if, if, like, how much space is in these things. Uh, it seems like they would need the space to do whatever they do to get those people out of those gliders and into the shuttle. I, I, they, they completely cut around yeah. it and don't get to see it. How, how do they dock with those alien gliders? Like shuttles are supposed like they can dock with the space station and that's it. That's yeah, all they the do. The gliders definitely look like they're built to not be opened in space. You're supposed no, to get uh, into the space, bigger ship. Right? Space uh, shuttles gonna... seem like they're pretty focused on, you know, economic use of space. Like internal capacity. Right. Uh, Unless this is like a moonraker mm-hmm. situation where just the top expands so that your astronaut uh-huh. commandos can start flowing out shooting lasers. Yeah, I, I guess yeah. If, if SG one had spacesuits that they could like pop the cockpit of their gliders and that, fly into the shuttle. They had to use, that's why they had to use the one with the canna arm. It's just gonna hold the gliders when it goes back in. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't think there's enough room in those for for two gliders to be held inside a space shuttle. That seems nuts. Uh, I I don't I don't understand the logistics of what happened. Like the 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 only realistic scenario I can think of is that like those four people took a very short, uh, unsuited spacewalk between their gliders and the shuttle, and like it, they managed to get close enough that it was only a, a couple seconds long, and they survived. Which you know. Spoiler alert, there's going to be a thing that happens that is very similar to this in a few seasons. Yeah, they, they point um, their uh, windows no. at a hatch, and then they close their eyes, and then it is, they just mm-hmm. jump. They burst those windows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, they sure just, like, don't even make you think about it. It's, like, the same way that when Batman in the old series came down his fire pole and then he was in the Batcave fully suited up and you've just had to imagine what happened where how he got suited up in between those two shots they just completely abstract this thing don't worry about it they they got in the shuttle they're back on earth now everything is fine um which you know uh, <laughs> uh maybe not uh, actually the 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 worst credibility stretch but it's one that's hard to get over once you start thinking about it uh but yeah, they're back on Earth. Uh, SG one, well, the, the the remains of SG one and Braytac walk into their gate room where everyone is waiting, standing up and clapping for them because everyone's so happy that uh, they've saved everything. Um, yeah, there there was there was a brief scene earlier where where Walter says they just like on radar they just saw two big fireballs in the night sky and like they know that this is the gold blowing up and as far as the rest of the world is concerned, there were space explosions and no one has an explanation for it so there's going to be a fun thing to explain to everyone um 
but yeah, everyone is clapping for 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 our heroes who are back, and they're like. Also, everyone, I guess, is pulling a prank on them because Daniel isn't in this room. They're gonna like they 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 want to like surprise them with the fact that Daniel is still alive. There's <laughs> um, there's a funny scene where uh, Hammond and Braytac meet face to face for the first time, and Braytac looks at him and he says, "You are Hammond of Texas," and he just kind of waves his hand over his head because he remembers that when O'Neill mentioned Hammond, he said he was a very bald man from Texas. So that's him going, "Oh yeah, the bald man. You must that that must be you." Uh, it's kind of funny, and like Hammond doesn't really get it, but uh, <laughs> he sees the gesture he makes, assumes it has something to do with his lack of hair, uh, but yeah, he. Yeah, Braytag just compliments him and says, uh, yeah, you, you, you raised your boys good, man. Um, and like Braytag says, yeah, I have to go back to Chulak, uh, before, before, before they learned what happened so that, you know, I can, he, he needs to, 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 to go back undercover there and try to recruit as many other rebels as he can before he has to uh, leave this place because I guess Apophis now knows that he's a rebel. Uh, they don't know, like, they assume Apophis is dead now. Like, for uh, until next time they see him, it's going to be the, 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 the assumption of everyone on Earth that Apophis is dead, even though we, the viewers, know that Apophis is still alive. Uh, but they, they're going to have a, like, a, a handful of episodes where, uh, where the good guys will just assume that Apophis is dead now. Um, but yeah, they say bye. Braytax says bye to Teal'c. Uh, I, I guess the Air Force has to debrief Braytac because, like, someone comes over and uh, and and uh, like uh, beckons him to a different room. Uh, before, like, yeah, I guess this is just an excuse for them not to have the Stargate on while everyone is in the room because they have to have one more uh, tier four reunion because. Um, like Hammond is like then there's someone else who wants to say hi to you and like Daniel was just like standing behind someone in the back there and he just like walks out of there just like it's it's gonna be really funny y'all they're gonna think I'm dead and then I'm gonna come up and everyone's gonna be happy uh, but yeah it's it, it, it's kind of heartwarming because uh, we get a rare uh, sincere smile of happiness from O'Neill when he sees that Daniel is alive and he just hugs him and calls him Space Monkey it's it's pretty cute um and yeah that's it uh that's it for this episode uh, and the the season two premiere and that four part uh arc that uh that started at the end of season one Whew. um yeah <laughs> pretty pretty eventful uh this is uh this is like a uh, I, I like this episode quite a bit um this is it's it's also interesting in the grand scheme of things because like I said uh, the humans now assume Apophis is dead uh, like the rest of the galaxy kind of knows he's not dead but also like we're gonna get into it more in the coming episodes but one thing that happened is all the other ghouls saw what Apophis just did and how Apophis got his ass kicked and there's gonna be like fallout from all of this that is going to last for a long time and it's it's it, i i like the way the arc is shaping up at this point knowing what happens later uh is one way i could put it um so uh we have a question that was sent to us uh see uh follow our twitter at at jaffa takes 
to find our question. Okay, I, I lost the question. I need to find it again. Sorry. Uh, the, the, the Twitter is at Jeff uh, I try to put up a tweet uh, on the day we record to ask for questions, and you can uh, answer that tweet to uh, have your questions read uh, on the podcast, uh, just like this one sent by our friend Zach. He asks, do you think there's ever been a good change to a game slash movie slash TV in response to fan reaction? Um, the first answer I have for this is like all of Mortal Kombat is kind of built off of uh, 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 things that started as like fan theories and were like made canon later. Uh, like Urbac, for example, was like a, a theory that was based on uh, debug code from arcade cabinets and that turned into the Red Ninja. Uh, that was like an urban legend, became a real thing. Same for Scarlet, which is the lady uh, Red Ninja in, in Mortal Kombat. Like everything, like secret. Uh, fatalities, different types of fatalities were all things that started off as urban legends and then became real. Um, another example I have is in Lost, like the the character of Tom, who is uh, like, you don't get to, you don't know what his name is until I think season 3 but he first shows up at the end of season 1 and like the fans his... started calling him Mr. Friendly. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then like uh, they eventually said like on on the show that his name is actually Tom Friendly, and like there's the, a line he has when he first shows up. He says, "I think no, not in, when not when he first shows up, but at some point he he tells Kate that she's not his type." And like fans took that to mean that he was gay, and then like that was like the the showrunners then like they it wasn't intended that way, but they saw that everyone was assuming he was gay based on that that line, and they made him actually gay. So like this this, this like this guy's name and his sexual orientation was all basically things that were like ascended things from the fans reacting to the show, which is kind kind of cool for like a kind of secondary character where they could like uh, spare to just like leave those details up to the fans, and it was uh, it was no problem. Um, do either of you have any examples that come to mind about things that changed based on fan reception? Um. I don't. I would have to think on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry. It's, it's it might be a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I actually like prepared to answer this question by looking up uh, the 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 TV tropes ascended fandom uh, fan ascended fandom page for to 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 uh, to to remind myself of some examples of this. But yeah, it's like and yeah, it's 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 one case like like I said on Stargate that they decided not to kill off Chlorel based on forums and that turned out to be a good thing because like when Chlorel shows up later it's gonna be some 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 further fan favorite episodes, let's say. It's gonna be a while, but you know I I guess some good stuff coming up. My my answer would be not really like a like a, the fans want this, so you should do this. More like a response to the fans mm -hmm. in which uh in Deep Space mm -hmm. Nine once a certain segment of the fan base started talking about how uh, great Ducat was and how misunderstood and how noble yeah. he was, the showrunner yes. correctly uh, steered the show. So <laughs> he's actually uh, a space Nazi who was uh, a son of a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, please, please do not be horny for Ducat, everyone. You, you, you completely misunderstand him if you think that's, that's the right thing to do. Look at Martok over here. Look at, like... Uh, Garak, if you have to, but like they have these are interesting characters. It's okay to like, but Golducat is a just is just an asshole. Don't like him, please. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good one. Um, I so, can't yeah. think of a 
good one off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but I do want to call out the person who responded to Zach with that with an image of so- uh, image of Sonic. And no, <laughs> oh. you're wrong. No, no, you would have liked ugly that Sonic, Sonic. Ugly Sonic was like a million times better than the <laughs> than the redesigned closer to actual looking Sonic. Okay, like in a certain interest way that that might have made a more entertaining movie if they'd gone with that like it would have generated some entertaining discourse i don't know that there would be a sonic the hedgehog 2 if they hadn't there changed probably that. would not have been a sonic I, the hedgehog 2 but also i don't know if i could sign off i th- i just think that if you're going to have a weird animal person they should look like a weird animal per they should look yeah. like a weird animal person but i mean it, it's sonic though sonic should look like sonic not not like a monster <laughs> <laughs> the the Chippendales uh, movie that was on Disney Plus has that version of Sonic yes. in it, and every time that Sonic is on screen, yes. my entire attitude shifts to get him off screen immediately. Like it's it's so uncomfortable <laughs> yes, to stare at that Sonic. Yeah. yeah, of course. Like the the joke in Chippendale, they probably played it up, like made him seem especially a little bit more creepy. <laughs> But yeah, that's a good point. That, that like you, you don't you don't want kids coming to see your fun Sonic movie to just cry every time Sonic is on screen. That's probably a bad reception. Uh, <laughs> kids wouldn't cry to the weird looking Sonic. Kids like Chuck E. Cheese animatronics. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that, but yeah, okay, sure. I think like I mean, kids okay, now they, know Five Nights at Freddy's like- more than. <laughs> <laughs> they liked it before a weird, before a weird evangelical guy made the face of horror for anyone their age. Yes, right. Yes, that's the thing. Yeah, uh, the the same way that cl- you can't do clowns anymore because everyone knows about the the serial killer guy and also it. Uh, like Five Nights, like Chuck E. Cheese is forever tainted by everyone knowing about Five Nights at Freddy's. It can it can never be seen as friendly for kids anymore. Um, so that's it for questions for this week. Uh, I mentioned that the, the Twitter, you can also send an email to jeffatakespodcast at gmail.com uh, if you want to send a question or anything or a comment or just just chat, just talk to me. You can send that too. Uh, you can find my personal Twitter at the real Simben if you just want to chat f- about non-Stargate things or see what I have to say about various topics. Uh, also, you can join uh, the Audio Entropy Discord server where we have a Jeffatix channel. Uh, I put the link in the show description. M, anything, any last words for our audience? Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at mofeely for as long as Twitter is there. It seems like it's going to stay, but mm-hmm. they keep turning things off and changing things that who knows anymore. Yeah, we've 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 come we've come down from the like doom uh, doom pilled uh, Twitter is gonna be offline within two weeks phase, and now it's just like it's just surviving. It's like a, a, it's like we're in the zombie Twitter phase at this point. It's like it's in a state of undeath where it keeps shuffling around, but everyone kind of knows it's dead. It's weird. It's still usable for now uh, un- until they get kicked out of their buildings for <laughs> oh, not so paying rent. To... I think that's when Twitter goes down. Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, that, that might be. <laughs> Also, just throw in another little hot take. Mm-hmm. God, the God of War show they're developing. Yeah, yeah. Just put Christopher Judge in there. Let him be. Let him be Kratos. Yeah, guys, just, feel freaking massive. Just, just, just like yeah, Christopher Judge caked in white makeup because that's what Kratos is would completely work for that. I agree. Yeah, um, yeah. So speaking of TV shows based on Sony properties, Last of Us is like starting tonight as we're recording this. I'm gonna watch that after. Maybe have some thoughts about 
<laughs> what I thought about it next week when we record the next episode. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention, next episode is called uh, In the Line of Duty. Uh, it's another nice episode that I like that introduces a pretty significant arc to the show. Uh, Jimmy yeah, Dean. Yeah, having, Sorry. having never played Sorry, having never played The Last of Us, uh, mm -hmm. I will wait to read the reviews yeah. uh, before I watch the show if I do it all. Yeah, the, the the reviews seem good right now. If not, like yeah, everyone is saying the same thing is that it's harrowing and uh, uh, like it's 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 hard to watch sometimes because it's really sad and everything. It's if you know if you've people who have played The Last of Us know what to expect. Like it's it seems to basically follow the exact same story as the first game, so you know exactly what the first episode is going to be. And yeah, there's a moment at the end of that prologue that is really hard to watch. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I guess content warning, uh, despair for the last of us <laughs> all right besides that jimmy dean anything else you want to uh, tell our audience or tv shows you want to recommend uh i finished the third season of the boys mm. uh still pretty enjoyable yeah um yeah uh i'm currently in the second season of the magicians mm -hmm. and uh that's that's great except for quentin coldrotter uh fucking hate that guy mm -hmm. um and then my goal for this year is to start watching uh, The Good Wife and The Good Fight. That's my 2023 right. TV goal. The, the the two good shows. I guess there's also The Good Place, which you might have already seen. <laughs> that, I've that, seen The Good Place. That, that's, yes. the, that's the trilogy that right there. Um, yeah, The Boys, I, I saw a headline going around like today or yesterday that they said they started shooting season four of The Boys and they said something like, we've put the grossest thing that's ever been on TV in season four. And like, I'm just thinking season three of The Boys had someone's penis explode from the inside by someone who was tiny inside the penis who who got huge. And like they're gonna like they're saying now they're gonna have something even worse than that. Alright. You do you the boys. I mean the the boys show has greatly turned down the gross shit from the comics. Yeah, that's the thing. So. It's, it seems like a fairly faithful, if not even slightly conservative adaptation of what the comics was. Um but I, I think there aren't that I many boys comics. I think they're going to have to start doing their own stuff soon. Yeah. I think I would describe the boys like not being like, I mean, it's gross. A lot of the stuff is gross, but mm -hmm. it, it leans more towards gnarly as opposed yeah. to like horrific. Yeah, that that that's the thing. The boys yeah. is like, it, it's a punk show in a weird way. It's like, it, it, it's real gory and gross, but in a way that you're not supposed to be so much scared by it even though there there are some like kind of really scary moments in the boys but it, it's like you're supposed to like agree that this is fucked up and it's supposed to like get you like kind of pumped up and angry and make you want to like destroy capitalism it, it's that's that, that's what the show is about so it's like it's 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 in a weird groove so i guess content warning for for ang anger inducing <laughs> gore for the boys <laughs> the the boys is a success in my eyes because every time something bad befalls one of the antagonists uh, uh -huh. i as an audience member go that's great and i want even worse shit to happen to them yeah that I happens want their lives to get fundamentally worse every episode oh yeah uh this uh the deep and anytime anything happens with the deep on the boys it's so satisfying because he deserves all the bad shit that happens to him and yeah, he's the deep, he, uh a train yep also him oh, he's such an asshole like, I, I kind of feel like they tried to redeem a train a bit and he, but don't forget that he's he's always been an asshole. But yeah, anyway, he's he's kind of a the characters have 
layers in the boys. Uh, that's how you know it's art and everything. Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, stop. I'm gonna stop talking now. All right. Have a good week, everyone. Uncree. <laughs>